Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. So Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And so on our midweeks throughout this year, we've been going a verse-by-verse journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to continue tonight. This is part 21 of this series. And so last week, we talked about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He spent nearly three years ministering in Ephesus. This is one of the longest locations Paul's ministered at on his missionary journeys. And so right now, we're on missionary journey three. We've covered missionary one and two. And on missionary two, he stopped for a brief moment in Ephesus. But on missionary three, he came, missionary journey three, he came back and spent a considerable amount of time here. Had a very impactful ministry. As we covered last week, he talked about it was a great open door, although there were many adversaries. And in this great open door, the word of God not only filled the whole city, but that entire region, every single person heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not heard about the gospel. They actually heard the gospel. So every single person had came to one of Paul's meetings. That's not just in one city. That's a whole region of what we would call modern-day Turkey. Every single person within that two- to three-year span of time heard the gospel preached. A lot of people got saved. Some didn't. Some rejected. But everybody had a chance. And it was a result of that open door. And we know near the end of the time of ministry that the enemy stirred up a riot because he wanted to stop what Paul was doing and the effect he was having. And then they stirred up the riot, but the government calmed it down and said, there's no charges you can do against these people. They tried to catch Paul. They couldn't find Paul because he got really good at hiding by this point. And so they found two of Paul's associates and they brought him in. But Paul was going to go walk in and say, well, I can go calm everybody down. Now, the only reason Paul could think he could do that is because the influence he had in Ephesus. If you're a random person and they're writing about you, you're not going to walk in. But Paul, as we talked about in the last few weeks, had risen to a place of influence. And when he was about to walk in, it wasn't even the church that stopped him. It was the leaders of the city who sent people who said, please don't go in, Paul. Now, the leaders of the city were smart enough not to go them themselves. They said, please, Paul, don't go in and go somewhere else. And so we get to chapter 20, verse 1. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him his disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. So Paul is leaving Ephesus, and he's heading to Macedonia. Now, in verse 2, Paul's going to travel a great distance. So if you get ready to show that map for me. In verse 2, Paul's going to travel a great distance. As we covered in the book of Acts, there are some verses that represent years and hundreds of miles of travel, and there are some chapters that represent a day. But verse 2 is going to look at all this distance Paul's about to travel. And when he had gone over those parts. Now, what are those parts? As you see in the map, those parts, you see the red arrows and the lines are his journey, missionary journey number three. Those parts include Asia Minor, which includes the churches in Smyrna, Pergamum. It also includes the city of Troas, which we know as the ancient city of Troy. It also includes the parts of Macedonia, where he is heading to. So he's going over all these parts where he has started churches. Remember, there's a church in Smyrna. There's a church at Pergamum. We know about those churches because of the book of Revelation. Those were churches Paul started. And so he's going over these parts and into Macedonia. 
And notice what he does. And he has given them much exhortation. So he goes to every single church where he started. Every single city he passes through. He preaches, he teaches, and he gives instruction. So this is not, okay, he spent a day here, a day here. This is a long period of time pouring into all the churches he started. And eventually, he gets to Greece. But in, in order to get to Greece, which is also known as Achaia from the scriptures, he would go through the seaport at Troas and then sail into Macedonia. But Paul had something to say about his brief time in Troas. Go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Remember, Paul's interested in ministry places where there's open doors. But he said, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Sometimes we mean taking my leave. Okay, Paul said, yeah, there's open door. I'm not going to do anything about it because I really want to get to Macedonia. But the phrase taking my leave means to bid farewell or to give parting instructions to. So Paul ministered in this open door. He gave parting instructions. This is what I want you to do until I come back. And then he heads into Macedonia. One of the reasons he wanted to get into Macedonia, he wanted to hear from Titus how the church at Corinth was doing. Remember, as we said in the past few weeks, Paul sent Titus to preach unto them. So he already wrote 1 Corinthians from the city of Ephesus, and he sent Titus to there. And so he's waiting for Titus to come back to give him an update. So he gets to Macedonia, and as I remind you, the capital of Macedonia is Philippi. Paul's heading to minister to the churches he wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians to and 2 Thessalonians, as well as to Berea. We read about them already in the book of Acts, as well as Philippi. Paul would later write the book of Philippians a few years later, so he hasn't written that book yet. But these are the people he is going to minister to. So he's heading towards Corinth. And there when he gets to Corinth, he stays there for three months. Now while he's in Corinth, remember he's a minister of the church at Corinth. And when he writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, when he's in Macedonia spending time there, he gets a report from Titus. He writes 2 Corinthians to them. So before Paul sees them again, he's already written them two lengthy letters. And after he gets there, he spends three months with them. But in his three months of ministering the church at Corinth, Paul is not just focused on the church at Corinth. In this time, he writes the book of Romans. Now, one of the things about the book of Romans, a lot of letters Paul writes, he's writing to churches he started. Paul did not start the church at Rome. He hadn't even been to Rome yet. But in his heart, he says, I got to preach at Rome. He says, I want to add to what God is doing to the work at Rome. I want fruit among those of the work at Rome. I believe I have some blessing and spiritual impartation to add to what God is doing at Rome. So he writes to the church at Rome. And in his letter to the church at Rome, you begin to understand Paul's mentality and what he's planning to do on the rest of this missionary journey. So let's go to Romans 15. Remember, as we said in weeks past, Paul's very strategic. He's a Holy Ghost-filled man, but he's also a brilliant man. He has a strategy, and he has a plan. And a lot of times, we would have read through four verses and kept going, but we don't realize this is what Paul is doing. Paul is doing a lot. He's done a lot of preaching and teaching and counseling and correcting and building and writing. The book of Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, these are not small books. These are very lengthy books. 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters. 2 Corinthians is 13 chapters. Romans is 16 chapters. This is a lot of time spent writing and pouring out. 
So Romans 15, 22, Paul says, For which cause also I've been much hindered from coming to you. I wanted to get you, but I've been hindered. But now having normal place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. So Paul says, you know, when I take a journey, I'm going to go preach in Spain. But before I get to Spain, I'm going to come see you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. At first, I'd be somewhat filled with your company. But now, remember, he's writing from Corinth. I'm heading to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and of Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. As we talked about, and when we talked about the church at Corinth, how they were supposed to give, the church at Philippi was going to give. And so Paul is, has collected an offering from Macedonia. He's collected an offering from Corinth, which is Achaia or Greece, and he's going to Jerusalem to deliver that to the saints who are at Jerusalem. One of the reasons, remember, we understood that there has been a drought and a famine in Jerusalem. And just like today, when there are droughts or famine or economic downturns, usually the people who hurt the most are the poor. And so the churches at Corinth and the churches at Philippi said, we're going to be a blessing to the saints at Jerusalem. Why is it so important? Paul goes on to say, because it has pleased them verily, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is to minister unto them in carnal things or natural things. Wherefore, therefore, I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. I will come to you, come by you into Spain. So Paul said it makes sense for them to sow into the church of Jerusalem because they exist because of what the church of Jerusalem did. And I said, because the church of Jerusalem, their apostles, their prophets, their evangelists, their pastors, their teachers, they obeyed God, and they were faithful to God. They were able in all these places to know about Jesus. And Paul said, it makes sense that we're a blessing to them. And so us here in Atlanta, we've existed 26 years, but we exist because there was another church in Michigan who prayed and gave for years. They didn't, some of them didn't know about in Georgia. Now, some of them eventually say, you know what? We like the weather down here, so we're going to move and join the Church of Georgia. A lot of them have done that, and we hear from them all the time. It's like, yes, our winters are a lot better. But some of them are even in heaven by this point, and some of them are still in the church there. They have no plans to visit or come down here, but God moved on their hearts, so they prayed. And they gave. They even gave into when we built this building. And so, in Paul's sense, we should be a blessing to them. So we are. So there are times where I'll write, tell my accounting department, now let's send a seed up there. Let's sow into that. This is what's going on. We're going to sow a seed. Why? We are the debtors. And so it makes sense as we increase, we become a bigger blessing. That we look for different ways to support what God has them doing. Because we're recipients of their faithfulness. And then as we go forward and start works all around the world, They'll go, let's go bless the church there in Atlanta and in Austell because we're recipients of their faithfulness. So this is what Paul's sharing here. And inside you see his thinking of how the churches should contribute to Jerusalem. But also you see his heart. Where does Paul want to go? Jerusalem. What's his destination? Jerusalem. So everything he's doing, he's still trying to get back to Jerusalem. Sometimes it's not just about the destination. It's also the journey. Because although he's trying to get to Jerusalem, he is writing letters. 
He's preaching at several churches. There are open doors. There are miracles. But so many times we're trying to we're focused on getting to the next destination. We miss what God's doing in between. So don't always be focused on the destination. Enjoy the here. Enjoy the now. Enjoy the middle because God is still God in the middle just like he is at the beginning at the end. So let's go back to chapter 20. Pick up with verse 3. So Paul stays in Corinth for three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, so they put a trap for him, they're going to catch him. He was about to sail into Syria. So he decided he purposed to return through Macedonia. He says, well, to avoid the trap, I'm going to go back through Macedonia. Now we get to verse 4, and sometimes we just read through things, and we'll see a list of biblical names. Like, oh, great, these are some biblical names. So sometimes, if we're not studying the Bible, we just skip over it and says, cool, let's go to the really cool and important stuff. But I want you to know something about this. So he's going through Macedonia, remember, Thessalonians, Berea, going to Philippi. But here are those who are accompanying him into Asia. So Peter of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and of Asia, Tychus, and Trophimus. To us, these are just biblical names, but this is the fruit of Paul's ministry. These are cities where he started works and started churches and poured out. And now he's going back to minister in Jerusalem, but it's not just him. There's a team who's going with them. These are people who have grown up in the things of God to the point now they're about to pour out all around the world. So to us, this might be a biblical list of names, but to Paul, this is the fruit of the ministry. Because remember, Timothy's with them. Timothy was a teenager and a young man when he went to the church first. And then Timothy began to travel and grow up in the things of God. Part of this group is also Luke. Luke got saved in the second missionary journey, and now he's with him. So you have all these people from the first missionary journey and the second missionary journey who have grown up in the things of God, and Paul goes back through this and say, hey, we're coming with you to be a blessing because we've grown in the things of God. Verse 5, these going before tarried for us at Troas, or Troy, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of 11 bread, and came into Troy in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, on Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the next day. So, maybe the afternoon, early evening, they come together on Sunday, they have dinner, they're fellowshipping, you know, one of the things about Christianity the table is very important. Now, we might eat too much at the table, but the table is still important <laughs> because the fellowship that happens over food is important to Christianity. So that's why coming to church is important, but also having fellowship with other believers and spending time together is important. So Paul's in this room. They've had dinner. Paul's preached all through the dinner. Paul's preached all through the dessert. Paul's preached to anyone who's had coffee after the dessert. And he keeps going. And it says, he continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber. Why? Because there's no more sun. There's no more daylight. When they were gathered together, and there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. Paul was preaching. People were like, well, if Paul was here preaching, I'd stay awake all day long. No, you wouldn't. Eutychus kept going, yeah, that's good, Paul. Amen. You know, there's some people who are professionals that fall asleep at church. I knew a person who could fall asleep in church but knew how to say amen in their sleep. And you didn't even know they were asleep. 
looked like they were meditating. They were deep in the spirit. Amen. Praise God. And we knocked out. It's like the people you heard of, they can snore in tongues. Like, wait a minute, what type of spiritual level are you at that you snore in tongues? What's going on? You knocked out and I was like, okay. So Paul's preaching, giving great revelation, teaching, and Eutychus is struggling. Struggling. Nodding in, nodding out. Fell into a deep sleep. Now, now it's not a light sleep. It's a deep sleep. This dude is knocked out. And as Paul was long preaching, so Paul keeps on preaching, he sunk down with sleep. So now he's not just deep sleep. He's leaning and fall, fell over. He's laid out. And then I guess he rolls. I guess, you know, some people sleep still. Some people roll while they sleep. I guess Eutychus was one of the rollers because he rolls, but he rolls out the window. It's a third floor house. You know, maybe he didn't start at the window sill. Maybe it's like, if I sit at the window with the fresh air, there's no way I'm falling asleep. Maybe he had some type of mentality why he fell asleep in the window, but anyways, he fell asleep. And he fell down from the third loft. And you know, after he falls out the window, people rush going, oh no! And they're rushing down to get him. And they pick him up. He's dead. And Paul went down and fell on him. This is like what Elijah and Elisha did when they laid on people and the power of God went from their body into that person's body. Embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. And when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread, so they had like a midnight 3 a.m. snack or whatever. And he talked a long while after that. Even till the break of day, so he departed, and they brought the young man alive, and they were now a little comforted or encouraged. So after Paul raises this dude from the dead, tells him, go back upstairs, you still need to hear this, and he keeps preaching. He says, okay, let's eat, and he keeps preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. Y'all think I can preach long when I'm in Africa. Paul has me beat by at least eight hours here. I was talking to the team today, I said, you preach for how long? I said, yeah, I preach about four hours, and then we pray for an hour or so, and it's about a six-hour meeting. Paul had like a 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. meeting. And so he departed. And we went before to the ship and sailed into Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for he appointed mining himself to go foot. So it's a short distance, and Paul said, instead of getting on the boat, I'm going to walk there. So Paul made a decision he's going to walk there. So his team meets him within Asos, and they took him in, and they came to Medellin. And they sailed thence and came the next day over to Chios. And the next day where we arrived at Samos, we tarried at Shogalium. And the next day we came to Miletus. So they're taking a ship in at different places. They have different layovers. It's like today when we fly, we have layovers. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, not sail to Ephesus. He says, I want to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time in Asia. He said, I already spent in this trip uh, three years and more in Asia. I'm trying to get to Jerusalem. And he knows if I go into Asia, they're not going to let me leave. I'm going to be there even longer. So he says, I'm going to go by there. So he stops in Miletus because he said, if it were possible to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. The word elders here, these are the pastors. These are the leaders. So he calls for the pastors and the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And what we're about to see is the first recorded minister's conference in the Bible. Paul's about to have a conference with his ministers, with his pastors. Remember, the church at Ephesus is a large church. 
it comes to be the main church in the early New Testament. That if you wanted a church to look to, you looked at the church at Ephesus. Even in the book of Revelation, we begin to dissect what Jesus said about them. They were a ministry machine. If you wanted to go to a conference in the, Old Test in the old days, in the New Testament, you would have gone to Ephesus. They would have had the biggest conference and the biggest convention. They would have been ones to train you how to do ministry. They had everything down to a science. This is a booming church and a big church. Eventually, Timothy is going to pastor the church. As I shared last week, not only was all these things going on, John moves there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes there. How many want to go to church that Mary's Jesus' mom says, you know, this is my church home? This is that type of church. So Paul's calling their leaders in and to pour into them. And he says, when they were come to him, he said, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what man I've been with you at all seasons, that you've been able to observe my life. You know what type of person I am. Serving Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptation, which means trials, which befell me by the lion and the weight of the Jews. So you saw how I acted in every season, whether the season was good or whether it was a trial. You saw what happened when the enemy tried to attack me and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you because I didn't hold things back. But I've showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. We know that Paul taught in the synagogue for weeks, but then after he preached in the synagogue, he went to the school of Tyrannus and preached there and taught there every day for over two years. So you saw my manner of life. You saw what I preached and taught. You can say I held nothing back. I poured everything out. I left everything on the court. And from house to house. So in addition of teaching every day in the afternoon at the school of Tyrannus, he would also go to their small groups and preach and share. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, the Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions, trouble, abide me. Can you think about this for a second? We might get into the next time, but every city Paul's preaching and teaching, the Holy Ghost is saying to his heart and through the gifts of the Spirit, when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to run into trouble and you're going to run into chains. Not one city, every city. And we've just said today how many cities Paul went to. So when he gets to Smyrna, that's what he hears. When he gets to Pergamum, that's what he hears. When he gets to Troy in the great open door, that's what he hears. When he gets to Philippi, that's what he hears. When he gets to Thessalonica, that's what he hears. When he gets to Berea, that's what he hears. When he gets to Corinth for three months, that's what he hears. And so he's sharing this in advance with the church at Ephesus. But none of these things move me. Okay, yeah, troubles in my future, yeah, change in my future, but that, that doesn't even affect me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy. So Paul's not even afraid of what's coming. He says, I don't know what's going to happen. I know this and this is going to happen, but I'm going ahead because I'm going to finish my course with joy. So this is my end. I'm going to finish it with joy. He said, I'm not just going to finish. I'm going to finish with joy. Don't just focus on finishing, finish with joy. And the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. 
And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. So he says, I don't think I'll ever come back and preach in Ephesus. He says, you may never see me again face to face. Wherefore, I take you the record to this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Because I preach everything God told me to preach. I poured out everything I had. I can't be blamed for the decisions people made. I did everything God wanted me to do. Because you can be blamed if you didn't do what God wanted you to do. Because if you don't pour out and do what God has called you to do, then people who disobey because you didn't obey, that's your fault. But Paul said, I did what God wanted me to do. There's no blood on my hands. Now he tells the pastors, take heed, therefore, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. So the Holy Ghost appoints pastors and overseers. Notice what he says, pay attention to yourself and the flock. Then number two, feed the church of God. One of the main responsibilities of the pastor is to feed the church the word of God. When we studied out before, it's with knowledge and understanding. It's the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, he's going to give them a prophetic warning. That after I leave, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Wolves are going to come in and pick off the sheep. So, you know, I have patience with a lot of people and a lot of things, but I don't tolerate wolves. That's why the pastor has a shepherd crook. I don't tolerate wolves. I'm patient with a lot of things, but not wolves. And also of your own self, uh uh-oh, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So even from the ministry crew that comes at Ephesus and pastors, there are going to be people who are going to say, wrong and perverted thing to bring people after them. So Paul gives them this warning. Do you guys want to know if they actually followed Paul's warning? Go to the book of Revelation real quick. So Paul warns them prophetically by the Holy Ghost. And so you get to the book of Revelation. This is somewhere between 20 to 40 years at least after Paul's time here. By this point, Paul has been martyred. All the original disciples have been already except John. John has moved to Ephesus, and he's overseeing the churches that Paul planted. And so when Jesus appears to John, he's talking to him about these churches that are now under his charge. So chapter 2, verse 1, unto the angel or to the messenger, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, write. Timothy is probably still the pastor at this point. So to Timothy, write, these things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil. You have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake you have labored and have not fainted. So what do they do? When these people rose up, these wolves, these people speaking the wrong things, they said, okay, let's try you out for a second. Oh, no, that ain't God. So they paid attention to Paul's warning. Now Jesus gives them another warning, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Do what you did at the very beginning. 
or else I will come to you quickly and I will remove your candlestick out of its place except you repent. He reminds them, remember at the very beginning, what was the beginning? Acts chapter 19, that great revival. He points them back to that. We won't get into the first love tonight. But notice verse 6, with this you also have. He gives them another compliment. You hate the deed of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Have you under, ever wondered what does the sudden love hate? What does love hate? Now, the Nicolaitans were a group that did come from Christianity. Most scholars believe that when you look at the beginning of Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 6, we talk about the seven deacons. One of them was Nicholas. He was a proselyte, meaning he already came from a pagan religion and then became to the Jewish religion, and then he got saved. So he's already been in multiple religions. And so at some point of time, he begins to turn away from the truths of Christianity, and he begins to talk about how you can live promiscuous and be okay. He begins to promote sexual immorality. He begins to say it's okay and it's included in what you can do under the grace of God. That doesn't really matter to Jesus. And so not only is he saying it's okay, he's teaching people to do it. And Jesus said, I hate that teaching. But the church at Ephesus didn't put up with it. So if Nicholas showed up and said, yeah, dude, you can't talk here. You can't preach it. No, you can't sell your CDs, your books. You can't give your podcasts. No, out that door you go. Now, what was so important, not for the church at Ephesus, but one of the things about the church at Ephesus, because they're the lead church, especially the lead church in Asia Minor, if you couldn't get the stamp of the church at Ephesus, you couldn't get into all the other churches in Turkey. So they try to go and say, what do Ephesus have to say about you? And so if they said, no, you're a false apostle, then Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and all the others say, yeah, we don't want you either. So Ephesus did pay attention to Paul's warning. They were a strong church for decades, yeah. Every church has issues, and Jesus corrects their issue. But notice Jesus has one issue, but he has several compliments for them. So this church did do a good job for a number of decades. So Paul says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you, I trust you, I turn you over to God. I can't be here with you anymore, but God's still with you. And I could turn you over to the word of God, the word of his grace. The word is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them who are with me. You know what my business did. So he says, I wasn't coveting people's stuff. Now, yes, Paul received offerings, but he wasn't covetous. So he's giving them an example. Just like I wasn't covetous, don't you be covetous. Notice what it also goes on to say. You yourself know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, unto them that are with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring or so working, you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we taught the church at Ephesus giving. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What does that mean? There's a higher blessing on giving than there is on receiving. So there is a blessing in receiving, but it's more empowering to prosper to give than it is to receive. Why? Giving produces a return. Receiving doesn't produce a return. You just receive it, and you're thankful for it. But giving produces a return to you, but it also brings benefit to others. 
So it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. Because remember, they lived with Paul for three years. Paul had just taken this break and went on this mission, missionary journey for maybe a little bit less than a year, and he comes back and says, hey, guys, I know you enjoyed me being with you for three years. You're not going to see me ever again. They took Paul's warning to heart, but it also hurt their heart that their pastor, their founder, their apostle, they wouldn't see anymore. Now, this is not going to be Paul's last contact with them because a number of years later from his jail cell in Rome, he writes the book of Ephesians. So they will still have contact with them, but they may not see him by face. And they accompanied him unto the ship, and it came to pass after we had gotten from them and had launched, we came into a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera. And finding a ship sailing over into Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now we had discovered Cyprus. We left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. Now they're now back into the Middle East and getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. From there, the ship was unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So they sent something in the Spirit. The Spirit is letting them know danger is awaiting Paul. So they began to say, hey, Paul, this is what we got from the Holy Ghost. So dude, don't go, don't go. Please don't go. Please, please, please don't go. Remember, Paul's in every city. They're saying, danger awaits me. And when we accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And we had taken our leave one another, and we took ship and returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Potomus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. Last time we were talking about Caesarea, there was a man of God who moved there and settled there. We entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. This is many years since Philip as a deacon went out into Samaria and had a revival. And as we talked about Philip's ministry, he had a revival in Samaria. And then afterwards, he was translated and he preached all the way up the coast until he got to Caesarea and he stayed there. That became his base. We also know in Caesarea is where Cornelius lives. How the door was open and Peter's ministry has been there. It's a beautiful city on the coast. It's a big Roman colony, a big important colony and city to Rome. Philip the Evangelist was one of the seven and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So he was an anointed man of God, but the anointing also went to the next generation. So he settled there, had a family, and now his children are in the ministry. Now, what do you mean they which did prophesy? So they're meeting together, and the Holy Ghost is moving, and the Holy Ghost is speaking and encouraging and comforting through Philip's daughters. It doesn't even say that Philip preached at this meeting, but his kids did. You should always believe that the anointing on your, on your life gets greater in the next generation. That's what you should believe. That's what you should say. One of the things I pray, you know, I don't got four daughters. I got three. And I said, well, if Philip's daughters can prophesy, so can mine. The anointing is supposed to increase. It's supposed to go from generation to generation. And we tarried there many days. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. We've seen his ministry before. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, took his belt, and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns his girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. 
And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. So Paul gets this direct warning from the Holy Ghost. He's very close to Jerusalem now. The Holy Ghost sends the prophet, Agabus, to say, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, just in case you didn't know who's saying it. When you get to Jerusalem, he even had a prophet in his prophecy. See, I can use props in my preaching because a prophet had a prop in his prophecy. <laughs> he took his belt and bound his own hands and feet and says, thus save the Holy Ghost. The Jews at Jerusalem are going to bind the man he owns with girl and hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, you got to ask yourself, knowing this, why did Paul go to Jerusalem? Because then also his whole crew, everybody there, Philip, Philip's family, Luke, Timothy, the whole crew, everybody at the house in Caesarea starts saying, don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. I'm sure even Agabus, after he's done ministering by the Holy Ghost, said, yeah, dude, what? don't. So you have to ask yourself, why did Paul go to Jerusalem? If the Holy Ghost kept witnessing in every single city, this is what awaits you. How many want to know why he went to Jerusalem? You'll find out next time. Stand to your feet. <laughs> Stand to your feet. <laughs> but one of the things I want you to remember about today, it's not always about the destination. The journey is important. Because God will do amazing things on the journey and will teach you amazing things on the journey. You have great impact on the journey. So yes, set your faith for your next level and the destination. But there's also this period of time before you get there. That's not just preparation time because God can use you greatly in your preparation time. I remember Dad Hagen would talk about how that God never called him to pastor. God called him to be a prophet and teacher and teach his generation faith. But for 12 years, he pastored. He said that was his preparation season. But he pastored multiple churches and had a great impact. That was preparing him for where God wanted him to go. But it wasn't just about the destination. It was the journey God took him through. Your journey has impact. Yes, your destination has eternal impact. But so does your journey. And the thing is, if we miss the imp we can miss the impact of the everyday because we're focused on the destination. There's supernatural hidden among the ordinary. We talked about David on Sunday, how if he dismissed the ordinary, he would never make a life. Because his dad asked him to be Uber Eats. <laughs> he could have missed it. He was a teenager. He could have said, oh, oh my gosh, I don't want to go. Can we send somebody else? But in the ordinary, he walked into his destiny. There's power in the ordinary. There are miracles in the ordinary. There are breakthrough in the ordinary. Don't dismiss small beginnings. Don't dismiss the in-between. One of the things that's just deep on my heart as even preparing for next year, Lord's deal with me about 2020, but a year of visions and dreams. Not just visions and dreams, but visions and dreams fulfilled. But as we focus on fulfilling the vision for our life and dreams God has put on our heart, let us not forget the process to get there. I remember a number of years ago, I had a dream. I was still a student at ORU. 
And in this dream, I saw different things and different phases of my life and things the Holy Ghost had called me to do. And in that dream, I talked to, you know, I, I understood some of it, but I talked to another man of God who is a prophet of God. has a church today in another part of the country. And I shared with him what I saw. And he said, yeah, what you're seeing is correct, but what you didn't see in the dream was the change in you. You saw yourself going to all these different things, going to all the different places and phases of your life. But what you couldn't see is what God was doing in you as you went. Your process is important because the process you undergo in the journey prepares you for your destination. That's why you just can't get to the destination tomorrow. You're being prepared for the next level. One of the things I remember learning from Tim's story, you're being seasoned and you're going to be set so that you can soar. So don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise the process because the process is important. The journey is important. Set your faith for the vision coming to pass so that you can say it shall all come to pass and it's all come to pass at last. Set your faith for those dreams to come true. But also know that every day God is doing a work in you. And as he's doing the work in you, if you look at the future as well as you now, God will use you to do great things in the now. Paul was heading to Jerusalem. His heart was to get to Jerusalem. He wanted to bring this offering to Jerusalem. But in between, he, rose someone, he raised someone from the dead. In between, he wrote the book of Romans. Thank God for his in-between. Because we got the book of Romans. And it's in-between. He wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Thank God. His in-between blessed us. Don't dismiss the in-between. Walk with God. You're walking towards a different destination. But the walk and the journey is important. It's not just about the destination. It's also about the journey. And all of it is impactful and powerful. So, Father, we thank you for the journey. We thank you for the destination. We thank you. Yes, you are the Alpha and the Omega, but you're the, also the God of the middle. You are our preserver. You are our strengthener. You are our standby. You are our ever-present help. You are our comforter. You never leave us nor forsake us. You walk with us every single step of the way. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for helping us when we mess up. Thank you for lifting us when we trip. Thank you for when we take our eyes off of you and we begin to sink, you're right there and you caught us. That there's a safety net even as we walk by faith. As we walk with you, we can't fall because we're with you. You just pick us up again. We can't stay down because we're with you. The righteous men may fall down seven times, but they get back up again. Thank you for helping us get back up again. Thank you for being faithful. For your name lies within us, and you cannot deny yourself. So help us on this journey. Help us as we complete this year of abundant harvest. But Father, as I know you've been putting in my heart, this abundant harvest is preparing us for the vision. Preparing us for the dreams. Harvest to fund the vision and the dream. So give us wisdom to manage the harvest. Cause even greater bumper harvest to come in. 
so we can be prepared for what you have for us at the end of this year as well as going into 2020. We still hold our faith for the turnaround, for the suddenlies, for the turning of the corners. We know you're not done with it yet, so we don't let go to it by our faith. We thank you and give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Now, every head is bowed, every eye closed in prayer. Yes, sir. Sister Bernice, you got something? You got something? Can you hand me a mic? is really a message from the word of God and also there's a prophetic song that God gave me some years ago like in the 90s that sort of goes with this passage from Psalms 32 it says I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go I will counsel you with my loving eye on you and so many times as believers we're wondering and pondering about what is our next step and as pastor talked today about that time in between. Many of you have visions and dreams, and God has confirmed through prophetic words and even from your childhood that God has said, this is your end. You can see the end, but it's how are you going to get there? And the leading and the guiding, whether it's your profession, who you're going to marry, where your prosperity is, where you're going to live. And it's just amazing that all of us who have the spirit of the Lord living big on the inside of us, we're so perplexed many times about what is our next step? And this is a song when I was in Bible school in the 90s that God gave me, and I just hope that it will bless you. Lord, let me know your will. Lord, let me know your will.
him on the journey some of you need to renew your faith in him where your journey is concerned where your everyday is concerned where the in between is concerned one of the things I've been sharing here in Detroit a little bit in Africa and I'm about to share in Bulgaria he's with us he's the God of the middle that's what he's been bringing out of me in all these places he's with us he's the God of the middle not just the God of our destination, the God of our beginning. He's the one who's with us right now. He is Emmanuel. So he's with you every single step of the way. So don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't even be afraid of going astray. For I'm with you, says the Lord, and I will lead you and I will guide you. And he say, what if I miss it? What if I make a mistake? I'm with you. I will correct it, and I'll help you take your next step. Didn't I catch Peter when he began to sink? Why would I let Peter sink, and why would I let you down? I'm with you. I'll cap you, and I won't let you drown. So take your step of faith. Go forward with me. For this is a season of a great open door. So you must walk through that door. I won't go through for you, but I will go through with you. Go through the open door. Take a step forward. This season of the open door. A season of vision and dreams being fulfilled. So go forward. Spend time listening to my voice. Yield to my will. And you'll see the glorious things I have in your future and the glorious things that will invade the now. Take this journey with me. Don't focus on the destination. Focus on me. Hallelujah. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.